there's conflict at work and that's part of it too. Like someone could be making my life difficult or I could have said something or done something that creates a lot of brokenness. And then you're thinking, okay, I'm, I'm part of the problem. Can I also be part of the solution? Or maybe I'm just watching the problem. What's my role as a peacemaker? I think those are all relevant to the brokenness. Welcome to the Resilient Faith at Work podcast, where you will find and apply God's wisdom to your work. I'm Dr. Chip Roper, and I'm joined by Ken Kennard and Sarah Evers. We aim to inspire, challenge, and equip you to follow Jesus in the vocational dimension of your life. As we begin this episode, I want to thank our generous donors who make this podcast possible. We are grateful for your support. VOCA funders sign up to change lives by changing work. And if you like this content and want to partner with us to reach more workers, invest in VOCA. Just go to vocacenter.org give and join us today. Hey guys, how are we doing? Good, how are you? Good, not as good as Sarah, she's smiling. She's smiling twice as big as you can. I know, she she always has a great smile. She's even, got even her, on audio. She's got her end of the, the week, headed into the long weekend, smile yes. on. She's right. Absolutely, I had a six hour Zoom today. One oh. Zoom, six hours, and it's Why? over. And it's over. I'm taking a class, level up my skills, continuing education. And man, it is good to be off of that Zoom. So yeah, yeah. I mean, what else could go wrong today? Nothing, I've already survived a six hour Zoom. So bring on there the weekend. Go. Yeah, that's right. Before before the weekend, Sarah, we wanna get our podcast in. Is that, is that okay? Absolutely, let's do it. So how many times did you consult with ChatGPT during the six hours. Ago. I didn't do it during, but I made notes of things that I do want to search, search up. I've used, I've used chat GPT several times and I love it. Really? Love what was your it. experience? So, um, I, two things. Um, I have a, a, a presentation I was doing for one of our clients and I thought my script needed a little updating. So I took a chunk of my text that I wrote and put it into GPT with the prompts, make it sound warm and friendly, use this voice. And it was amazing. <laughs> it was really good. And then I wanted to do a little fact checking. So I said, um, what, are, what are the five reasons to use this assessment in team building? And I liked what it said and it was true. So I felt like it, it filled out some places in my presentation that needed to be filled out and it helped me bring in some casual warm language. Well, see, that's different than my experience. When I did the, the fact checking, I did two different fact checks. One was something I didn't know anything about. And when I got the results back, I thought, oh my gosh, that's amazing. And I, I totally believed it. And then I did another one where I actually knew the answer. And the answer I got back wasn't actually factually correct. Mm. And then I realized, oh my gosh, I don't even know if I can trust this. Like, if it was really disconcerting. You know, oh. and, and it, it reminded me of, of, of times when I've seen an article in the newspaper or magazine where I knew the information and I thought, oh, this is bogus. This isn't really a great article. Why didn't they know this? You know, so I thought this is disconcerting because the only reason I'm going to do fact checking is when I don't know the answer. Right. I need to know, right. the, facts. I know the facts. Yeah. But I, now I can't trust it. The cool thing was I corrected the language and said, that's actually not true. Here's the real answer. And ChatGPT responded and said, oh, yeah, you're right. Thanks for telling me. <laughs> but how did so it Jack know you're right if it didn't know you were wrong? 
Well, what I want to, what I'm noticing is that Chat GPT lied to you, but it told me the truth. So, yeah. does it like me better? I think there's something there. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I loved it. I, I will, uh, I will probably run some things through Chat GPT that I never thought I would, and using those prompts of say it in the voice of warm, kind, friendly. And then it got way too friendly, not flirty, but fr- but you know more too casual. So I took out informal, and it took the language back up where I wanted it to go. I just thought this has incredible potential to help me with writing and taking my content and leveling it up. Yeah, I've I had a I had a positive experience too. I had it. I took my LinkedIn profile and I asked it to write me a new introduction. Oh, brilliant! And, and it was pretty good. And I don't really care if that's true or not, Ken. You know, it doesn't really matter <laughs> as long as it sounds good. So, um, so I didn't fact check chat's GPT version of me. Um, but, um, no, I thought it was, like as a sort of, um, as an editor, like as your own sort of private editor. And then you say, like Sarah was saying, you'd say, no, I don't really, mm-hmm. I don't really want it to be that way. Do it more this way, that kind of thing. Um, and then the only thing, other thing that I, I'm looking at actually at my chat dashboard, uh, cause it saves your chats. Mm-hmm. I, um, you know, I bought a, I bought a musical keyboard recently and I was torn between two different models from the same company and I asked it how I should decide and it was really good. Like it, it was just as good as the salesperson. Um, mm. nice. Now if I wasn't, like you said, if I wasn't, if I would, if I was totally unaware of what was going on in that space and what the, t- the options are, I wouldn't have had any basis to say it was right on. So there is a little bit of a thing there. And there is a little bit of a, when you think about how it could potentially be manipulated or something, it gets a creepy, the creep factor creeps in. But um, anyway, so chat GPT. Well, this episode of the Resilient Faith at Work podcast was not created on chat GPT. It was it's created really by, us. it's real human beings. And uh, <laughs> so I think we should cue up the music from the Twilight Zone right now and um, use that to segue into our topic for the day, which has absolutely nothing to do with ChatGPT. So here's our topic. It's bringing redemption to brokenness within our, my company or industry. How do I bring redemption? And this was identified as the fourth out of six dilemmas that people are wrestling with as they think about their work. And it was indicated by 20, 22% of our respondents. Um, it uh, actually goes up as people get older. So the older we are, the more we think about how can I have this, how can I make the world a better place? So for, it, was, it was really low among Gen Z workers who are just trying to find a job, just trying to survive perhaps. And it was um, the top, top question for people who are still working in their 70s and the number two question for people in their 50s. So as, as people age, it becomes more and more significant. And one of the things that we see since we do this every year is that it represents a shift. And so last year, several of the top dilemmas were dealing with corporate social responsibility initiatives and feeling like uh, my Christian faith values were threatened in the workplace. So they were, they were kind of defensive in some ways. Um, but this isn't defensive, I don't think. I think this, this, sounds, this sounds positive to me. Like This sounds like a good, healthy, how can I make a difference kind of question. And so I think it's encouraging to see that this has actually made it into our top six um, 
And I wonder what you guys think. Like, what's your what's your take on the fact that this has made the leaderboard? Well, it seems to me that there's a little bit more space in our lives, right? That we're compared to previous results from the dilemma survey, we're moving out of crisis into more of a, a stasis mindset. So I think we have other other things that we have mental capacity, mental space to think about. So kind of going Maslow's hierarchy on us? Yeah. A little bit. So safety and security are more stable. Now we're thinking about meaning. That's mm -hmm. good. Yeah, I was also thinking that there could just have been so much brokenness in the air in the last year that now people are getting philosophical and like, okay, like stop the emergency, but how do we fix the actual problem? Um, and, and when I think about the problem, I think about it kind of in three ways. This is this is very general, bringing redemption to brokenness. What what do we mean by brokenness? When I think about brokenness, I kind of think of it in, in three ways. There's kind of like the individual brokenness, like someone's hurting at work and they need me to be with them or guide them or love them or speak truth to them, right? And then there's the brokenness at work where like my I'm feeling social pressure to conform and everyone wants me to buy into some kind of social cultural trend that might go against my biblical worldview. And so I now feel pressure that I need to stand up uh, for, for Christian values. And then the third kind of brokenness I think about is kind of like not social pressure, but kind of like a business policy. Like my company is doing something immoral or illegal or unethical. And I'm thinking about how do I take a stand or should I take a stand? Is it my place to take a stand? What, what, what would a Christian do in this context? That kind of brokenness, because it says within my company or industry, I'm thinking more globally about like the decisions that people are making and, and how that might rub up against my worldview or my beliefs or what I think is really right and good for the world. So what's it say a little bit more about the distinction between two and three? Well, two, I feel like a social pressure. Like I go to work and everyone says, oh, you got to put this on your LinkedIn profile or you got to support this movement or, you know, this this cause. We're all going to go do cocaine after work today. That kind of thing. Yeah, it could be it could be that it, okay. or, you know, we're it happens we're all, a lot at Voca, by the way. That's, that's <laughs> you know, so it's not a company policy or a, a, a legal issue with the company, but it's just like part of being in a community in the world, right? Um, as opposed to the, the the third part I was thinking about brokenness is like, hey, my company is embezzling funds or I found out that that my CEO is doing this and, and setting up a company policy that I don't think is is good or fair or right or he's not treating people or she treating people with, you know, the values that I think are right. And so I, I think that would be another kind of, more like a policy thing. Yeah, I wonder, I think we have to add something else there too, though. I think that there's a form of brokenness that some kinds of work are tend towards being exploitative. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And sometimes some kinds of work cultures tend towards being exploitative to either people working there or to people, you know, other stakeholders that are impacted by that business. So I think that's another form perhaps of brokenness. Yes. What else? I think that's that's helpful, Ken. Sarah, do you want to add anything to our list of broken things? I think, uh, you know, Ken, I thought, articulated really well the whole idea, like the, the company, the social, the individual. But I think you could also take it up a level and look at the industry. Like you just talked about, like um, stakeholders who might be exploit 
practicing exploitation or uh, in companies, but what about the whole industry? What's it standing on? What are the roots of it? How did, how did it birth out of? I think that we can even look at some of the historical context um, so that we, we think about was it, was it birthed in righteousness or not? And, and how do we be, bring righteousness and redemption to our, our industry uh, and our particular company? Yeah, I think that's really good. That's really good. And I, I've had friends and, you know, I had a friend in finance who left a company because he, they were selling products, investment vehicles that actually didn't have a great market return, but they got a great commission. Oh, <laughs> wow. And so, you know, they were, they weren't, they just weren't, they weren't great. Like it was very easy to pr- produce investment vehicles that would have a better return. And yet, So the whole incentive was for the the people who work there to sell something that didn't necessarily work very well. For the client, but worked well for them. Right. And so for him, you know, that was that was something that was something to leave. Um, I had another friend who was doing advertising and he it was a it was an advertising campaign for one of the main sneakers brands and they wanted to show normal like normal women enjoying these shoes and and he fought like he and this was something that was very he thought was like this is a justice thing right like everybody isn't a model and um so it was going to show normal women but when it came time for the shoot and he showed up it was like literally the swedish bikini team was the people the women that showed up to model these these shoes and um, no normal women <laughs> in the house. He walked off, like he walked off. Like, so there's, there's different examples of some of this stuff I think that comes up that's, that would be more industry-wide kind of brokenness. There's a, the combination of exploitation and injustice perhaps and objectification is what I was just really talking about there in that last example that, you know, there's, there's different kinds of brokenness all around. There's, there's probably a relational brokenness. I don't think we really talked about that yet in our list of broken things that like just can't like there's people that are, I mean, the label that we like to throw around now is toxic, but there's just conflict. There's people that are unnecessarily contentious. Um, some of the, uh, the brokenness you face, you know, Ken, you mentioned individual before. I, I kind of interpreted that more like a person's going through a, a life challenge or a hurting moment kind of thing. But there's also just, there's people who break people. Yeah, there's conflict at work and that's part of it too. Like someone could be making my life difficult or I could have said something or done something that creates a lot of brokenness. And then you're thinking, okay, I'm, I'm part of the problem. Can I also be part of the solution? Or maybe I'm just watching the problem. What's my role as a peacemaker? I think those are all relevant to the brokenness. And I... I... And the fact that according to the Bible, we're all broken just by the very nature of being human, right? So whether I'm intentionally trying to be contentious, I'm still bringing my brokenness and my baggage and my woundedness to work. Um, so I, in the in the very nature of it, we're going to have problems. Um, that's right. Be, like be, you get a, a the crowd of a bunch of people together to work. That's right. Yeah. You're going to have it. Yeah, you're it's just going to have be problems. Up. Because we're all a bit of a mess, whether we want to admit it or not. 
And the good news is we don't have to stay that way, right? Because this whole conversation started off as how do I bring redemption? And the fact that I am broken, but when I show up, I bring the, the, the redemption, the wholeness of Christ with me wherever I go. And so what does it look like to show up in the fullness of not just the brokenness, but of the redemption that I'm experiencing? How can I live by example or build relationships with people so that I have meaningful connections? How can I promote fairness and justice at work? How can I be a real advocate in our industry and challenge unethical practices? How can I look for ways to serve others or to practice forgiveness and healthy reconciliation uh, when I'm wounded or hurt? And what does it look like for me to represent redemption as I, as I work with excellence, right? The world is broken, but I'm going to bring the best of what I've got and work with excellence. That's good. That's really good. I mean, and, and, and zooming out a little bit, Mac, redemption, I think when we think about redemption, we're thinking of any act that moves the needle back towards God's original good intent for creation and work, right? Like that's creation. Like you said, we're all broken. The world is broken. You know, work is broken. It's still a good thing, but it's broken. But so anything that brings back the good in it, you know, like when you think of restoring something that that was um, has great value, but the value is somehow hidden or or we're like blocked from it in some way. You know, you're 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 bringing that back out. Yeah, and and bringing God's goodness to it. I I've been thinking about this lately as not that the world is bad and God is good and we need to help it go from bad to good. But when I think about some of the conflicts at work and some of the brokenness at work. A lot of it is really just un disordered loves or disordered goods is the way I can think of it. Like I had a, a coaching conversation recently where a person was really dogmatic about being efficient and task oriented and productive to the expense of the way she was treating her employees. And she was not listening to them. She was not being empathetic. She was not caring a lot about the relationship. Well, you could look at that and say, there's nothing wrong with being productive and efficient and getting stuff done. In fact, that's why she was hired to get stuff mm. done. But right. what was happening there is really just she was putting that above higher priority than the people she was around. And so it was causing so much chaos that in the end it wasn't productive because people couldn't trust her and they didn't know if they, you know, she, she was kind of creating a lot of turmoil around her. And when she saw it as not stop doing this and start doing that, but when she saw it as just resorting the order of good things, she was able to see that it wasn't, um, she wasn't evil, <laughs> but she needed to switch her priority for the sake of the people around her, for the sake of getting productive in the long term, for the sake of having a good, healthy, productive team, as opposed to just being a productive individual. And so that for me was a lesson in what does it mean to follow Christ and bring his redemption? Sometimes it's just helping people order the loves around God's order, like adopting God's divinely ordered system for the good things that are there so that we can uh, see it the way he sees it and do it the way he would do it. Yeah. When, when we show up in our redeemed selves, we show up ready to, to move forward like Christ did, right? With with freedom, with mercy, with accountability, with justice, with um, forgiveness, with love. 
Right. I think I think that's that's the phrase that keeps coming up to me is that what does it look like to show up in my redeemed self and the fullness of my redeemed self? Hmm. Say more about that. How do you do that? Uh, how do you do that? I, well, I think part of it is um, being fresh in your connection with the Lord. It's it's having that intimate connection with him. It's having that um wisdom of scripture, wisdom of uh, your community, wisdom from the Holy Spirit, and being able to, to walk in humility before others. There's a sense of being able to um, admit uh, wrong and uh, confess sin and, um, and working with collaboration with others, right? So it's, that, it's that humility of it's not all about me and I don't need to protect myself and I can let God protect me and I can move towards people in freedom. That it's, it really raises the question when we think about how, like we, when we think about when folks are getting out of bed saying, how can I be more redemptive about issues of brokenness in our work? We probably quickly go into activist mode. You know, how can I fix this thing or change this thing? And we need to be careful that we never, like, it's not good to never get into activist mode. But if you don't have that sort of center, Sarah, the way you just described it, um, actually you quickly become unredemptive about pursuing redemptive redemption, right? You become a Pharisee, you become a judge of everybody. It, it quickly gets wrapped up in your ego. And, you, you know, it's, it's interesting how it's somewhat of a slippery slope in a way. Yeah, we become really rigid. I think there's a, a pliability, a flexibility that comes when we are um, full of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and if one of the mistakes then to approaching this topic at work is to be an activist when we shouldn't be, another common mistake, it seems to me, is to think that we should go it alone. Like this is our individual responsibility. The only way to solve this, the only way to bring redemption is to focus on solving it myself. Like I'm going to be the lone Christian on the white horse that's going to come into this situation and be the bearer of truth. Such an American um, viewpoint. Yeah, and I, I, I didn't think, even know you had a white horse, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> I thought your horse was brown. Did you get a new horse? <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Um, d- d- don't tell my daughter that I have a white horse. She'll be okay, very excited. Right. Yeah. That's uh, oh, no, 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 uh, that's Gandalf. Gandalf has the way I'm sorry. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, so I, I think I think that it's, it's interesting that even by that mistake, what that mistake reveals is just how like the world we actually are, because our world is so individualistic. And mm-hmm. so, you know, it's all about me and I, you know, I'm, I'm my own God. I'm the one that needs to stand up for my rights. I need to let my own self-actualization rule the day and all that, be true to myself, look out for number one, all that kind of thinking, we, we, we show how like that world we are when we even try to solve the problem from that perspective. And I think what I like about what you said, Sarah, is that when we are that connected freshly with God, what happens, I've noticed in those situations when I'm at my best, I'm less concerned about solving every problem individually myself, and I'm more trusting that God will bring about his purpose and look for opportunities to partner with him and with others to play a role in that, which really takes a lot of pressure on. doesn't mean I'm completely passive and do nothing. Just, Mm -hmm. you know, wait for God to act. I'm not going to say anything. Mm -hmm. It's not that, but it's not 
this pressure that if there's a problem, there's a solution with my name on it, and I'm the one that has to carry the day. Well, I, I want to dig into this a little bit because I think it's there's this whole change the world thing um, that people think they're going to do, and and we're sold that a lot in Christian land. Like this thing's going to change the world, and we could even sell our listeners that like if you act as an agent of redemption at your workplace, you're going to change the world, and there's some sense of it. It's like whenever you're different um, and you're like anchored in your redemption, Sarah, like you were talking about, you're going to affect the people around you. And that can, you know, it can play out in amazing ways in their lives, right? Like they can discover, even if they don't, hopefully they'll discover Jesus and the whole package. But even if they don't, they may discover a, a new capacity to forgive or to be gracious or to be patient or empathetic. Or there may be, there may be ways to beat back against some unjust or exploitive things in an industry or that kind of thing. So, so it can happen, but it doesn't always happen. And it, it seems that to me sometimes there's a bit of hubris in the claim that we can change the world, like capital W world. Um, that it's like, I can really, in fact, my, my high school teacher, Mr. Hudson, I, we had to write a lot. And he said, so you're going to change the world? And because uh, I was very outspoken about my faith. And um, and he asked me a lot of great questions that helped me think. But that was one of them. Was like, I, And I just responded and said, well, no, I can't change the whole world. But I can respond to a little piece of it, you know, that, that's around me. And I think, I think sometimes our expectations need to be right-sized. Um, and that there's there can even become a, an oppressive feeling like, if I'm not doing something great that's obviously making changing the world, then I'm just not hitting it. And there's a freedom, I think, Ken, that comes from what you're talking about. That, like, I'm gonna eyes wide anchored in my redemption. I'm eyes wide open, um, risk taking and even sacrifice making, because that's part of what Jesus did. It's not, it's not always easy. But, and then, so that's one side of it. But the other side of it, I don't take on too much responsibility for changing the world. Like. God rules the world. Right. I, I'm, I'm responsible for what he's put in my lap. I don't know. Does that make sense to you guys? I'm just, I feel like it seems like the pendulum goes one way or the other. Either we have to do everything to change the world or we end up just, you know, not, we end up ducking instances of brokenness that we should actually be confronting and taking some risks to deal with. And it's hard to find the sweet spot in the middle. Yeah. And so you look to Jesus. How did he find the sweet spot in the middle? Well, he took action. He was bold and courageous, but he didn't take charge. What did he say about his own actions? He said, I'm just doing what I see the Father doing. I'm just yeah. listening to what the Father is asking me to do, and I'm doing what he... So that means he said no to a lot of activism, actually. <laughs> There's plenty of people he didn't heal. There's plenty of places he didn't go. There's a lot of miracles he never performed because he was actually in an interdependent relationship with the Father, both taking action, but also following and taking direction from the Father. And I, I think that's a pretty good model. Pretty good. Pretty yeah. good. Not not too shabby. Yeah, and that's the interdependence that um, that comes when we move towards this um, embodiment of our redemption, right? Because we're connected. We're connected to Jesus. We have that similar sense of um, of being. Um, I, the integrated, right? Integrated with God. But then I think Jesus all the time throughout the book of John, it says he was sent, sent by the father. Um, 
And so when you have that idea that I am, I am sent to my industry, I am sent to my company, I am a sent one in my, in my work, there is um, meaning and dignity beyond, do I really like my job right now? Um, and I oh, think yeah. that can also be an anchor for us when we see ourselves as sent ones, sent to bring redemption to a, a broken workplace or to a, a, a broken world. And not that we're the ones who are going to fix it and write it, but that we come embodying the wounded healer wherever we go. And so we can embrace woundedness around us. We can have patience with our own woundedness, with the woundedness of others. Um when we partner with the wounded healer. I was just thinking, I, I wonder if we could speak to the person who just needs to get off the chair. Like, like they, they've been, they've been going to church and putting their faith in a box and they don't unpack it until next Sunday. And they think of work as being a secular place and they're going to fit in, they're going to conform. They don't want to make waves. Like, so I, I'm wondering if this is a dilemma for some people who just feel like, I, I don't even know if I'm making any difference at all. <laughs> you know, this whole talk of being sent and being connected, I, I, I'm just not there. Like, I, I, I don't even know the first thing. Like, people don't even know I'm a Christian at work. And, you know, I, I don't even know how to show up as a Christian, like sort of like that 101 level. Can we can we talk to that person? Yeah, I think there's I think this is a, this happens at a micro level and a macro level. Let me throw this at you guys. So Lauren Gill, who is with uh, City to City's Global Faith and Work Initiative, uh, as we were talking to her a little bit about this topic, she talked about the macro. So at the macro level, think about what was good, originally good about whatever your work is. So you're trying to you're tying your work into a bigger narrative. Everybody can do this, and then and then think about well, what's broken about it now? You know, like. Um, like maybe like we build houses and people need to live in houses and it provides shelter and so forth. But then there's some example of injustice or exploitation or shoddy work or whatever. That's what's broken. And then she says, ask yourself the question, how can you, um, as work, uh, uh, in, through your daily work, push things back towards, away from that brokenness towards redemption? So there's, there's a macro hooking your work into a bigger narrative. And I actually, I think this is important because sometimes we forget and, it, that our work actually matters to God and the world. That you know, we think that only professional Christian work matters to God in the world. So that's at the macro level. But then there's a micro level, and I don't. And I think this is just as important because this gets into: uh, Am I a public Christian at work or not? You know, I think there's a there's a lot of verses. Some of them not so not so cheery about identifying publicly with Jesus. You know, or not doing so. I think that's a an interesting piece, but you know, do we? Because ultimately, redemption comes from Jesus, right? It's the it's there's at a personal level we have to talk about Jesus, like I think, and um, I think that it's hard to find both of these these ideas in the same box, and so I think a lot of our friends would say, you know, just I was I had this conversation with somebody this week when we were talking about they were trying to figure out their own strategies for being more redemptive, like just talking about what you did on the weekend. Yeah. And in certain offices, if you say I went to church on the weekend, that's like earth shattering. Like, you know, I have a lot of friends. They're the only person in their, their division, their office, their community, their zoom call that went to church on the weekend. Now 
you could go to church and be phoning it in and not be really tapping into that real heart redemptive life that Sarah was talking about a few minutes ago. That's that's not the point. The point is you're signaling. You're making a flag that says, "Hey, this is my this faith dimension is important to me." And, and there may be other things, things like that. That just so how do you do that? And we're not talking about like blaring clear Christian music and running around and subway preacherizing your colleagues at work. We're not advocating that. But there's ways to identify. I think Sarah. I think you can also mention, oh, at church, my pastor said this, or, boy, I really took this away, or um, in my, my morning meditation, I was praying. I think there are little ways that we can, we can signal that we are people of faith um, and that we aren't people of universal faith, but, but we are people of Christian faith. And, and I think for some of us, it's going to be just mentioning church. That's the first level, or mentioning a pastor or mentioning a Bible verse we read this week, right? There, there are, there are steps to it. And when most of us, a lot of us work from home or in hybrid situations, it's not going to be as easy as setting, um, setting a, a Bible out on our desk or a Bible verse out, um, right? There are, we have to find more subtle ways. And, and if you aren't somebody who works with excellence or who works with integrity. If you're somebody who talks about trying to cheat the system, I would say we need to work on that <laughs> before we start um, asserting. Yeah. If you drive like me, take the Jesus fish off your car. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Because it's just not good for the brand. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, Sarah, the, I like the steps in that. I was thinking, what's the next step after that? Like if you've identified or said, you know, I went to church the weekend, maybe another step would be, hey, you know, some tragic thing just happened and some of us are gathering to pray uh, over lunch or after work or, you know, anyone's welcome to join us, that kind of thing, where you can contextualize that there's a spiritual solution to a physical problem and you can... Um, by doing that, infer or imply that <clears throat> that spiritual resources could be brought to bear on things, um, helping people make that connection. So part of bringing redemption to your work is keeping your eyes open for macro trends, brokenness with a capital B, and ways that you can address it in your space. And I think all of us can think of different clients that have done this in one way or another. Like I'm, I think he has, he's been on the program in the early days of VOCA. David Block started a supplement company. And um, before he started his supplement company, he studied the supplement world uh, for investors. And so he knew which ones actually work and which ones are just, they all taste like grass in a capsule, right? So like, but some of them actually work. So he, he figured out like what it takes to actually have a supplement that has proven medical benefits. And so that was step one. So we're going to, we're not going to be, we're actually going to provide a good that's good uh, in an industry where not everybody does that. And then he took that a step further um, as he's developed his business consumer brand and, um, you know, the typical stuff, influence, influencer marketing. They do like a Tom Shoe model where for every, every bottle of high end, like these are high performance supplements for, people that are really particular about their health. Uh, for every high-end bottle of vitamins they sell, uh, they donate a bottle of children's chewable vitamins oh. 
to a country where children are suffering from malnutrition. And because oh. um, even because uh, he found out that starvation isn't it's not really starvation. It's malnutrition that really is really holding people back in a lot of places. They have food. It's just not great food. So this really, really makes a significant difference. And so they they they've taken an industry which is some a little shady and uh, always about me. And they've said, no, it's going to be really, really good for the people who take our supplements. And it's going to really be be really, really good for people who could never even imagine affording our supplements. Mm. And I think that's that's kind of a cool story of somebody who's who's tackling salt. They saw it at that macro level. They saw brokenness and they went after it. Yeah, talk about bringing redemption to broken areas and redeeming their industry and 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 bringing wholeness. That's that's phenomenal. I mean, I think there's other examples you guys might think of, like fine people in finance. It, you know, it's interesting. Just stepping back a second, it often seems that when people see that element of brokenness, there's little they can do at their current company or firm. And they have to move. They have to e- either start their own company or they have to um, change firms, the ones that are more aligned. And I, I know that doesn't sound um, like, I mean, you can still be redemptive where you are, especially at a micro level. But sometimes there are just systemic things that are baked into the way a company operates that you're really not going to be able to realize that full redemptive potential under that umbrella. So I had a friend who in finance that started a firm and, um, that did very well, but they had a different comp system. So they had a team-based compensation system that didn't reward just getting sales in the door. And for people who really wanted to make lots of money very quickly, they would not want to work there. Mm-hmm. But that was how they, but they felt that that sort of hyper-transactionalism was part of what was broken in finance. And the way they did it is they created uh, a business that functioned differently on the inside but still was really competitive on the outside. And the way, only way they were able to do it was to start their own. I don't know. What do you guys see? Do you see that there's people that are able to address macro issues even without having to start their own thing? Or do you think that's typically the case? What do you think about that? Yeah, I, th- I think that it's not hard if you're in an industry to spot what the problems are. I was thinking about marketing, for example. The reputation of marketing is that it's kind of a liar for hire, you know? And so there's a moral issue that the thing you're selling, the way you're selling it, it's actually not true. And so to just take a stand, if you have enough control that your whole company will do it, or if you just take a stand on the micro level and say, I'm not gonna do that. Um, it, it may be counter the trend of the industry, but it also, in a way, gets more respect, doesn't it? When, you know, uh, and some people have even gone the opposite way and say, you know, uh, pretty good biscuits or not bad, you know, like <laughs> they tried to like turn that into an advantage. Uh, by going the opposite direction. So I think that the principle holds true on the, on the micro and the, ma- and the macro. Yeah, and I'm thinking of um, a client, COO, who, you know, COOs are often uh, known for putting process over people. And his approach was to flip, flip it and to, to prioritize people and to have hard conversations instead of putting it off on other people and to transform um, operations in his, in his company so that people felt valued um, o- over the process. So I, I don't know if that's micro, macro, or middle, uh, but he was really trying to bring a sense of redemption and wholeness and listening to people. And, and when he retired, he said one of the greatest compliments he got was that somebody came back and, and thanked him for mentoring them when all he did was have a 20-minute conversation with them. 
as he looked back on it. So that, that, the fact that that felt like mentoring, uh, that he gave somebody attention for 20 minutes, um, that just felt like he was building his legacy and a, and a redemptive blessing legacy. Yeah, I think I think there's probably the operational principle behind a lot of these stories is people are entering into their work arenas with their eyes open. Mm. Like they're not just going there to check the box and make their paycheck or drive their own personal economic engine, which is part of it. Like we all need to make a living, but it's bigger than that. They're thinking more broadly and they're praying and they're saying, God, what, what's, how do you, how do I see this with your eyes? And then us, they're jumping into some kind of action um, as the opportunity arises. And, and the, these are these are great examples and great stories of, of what that looks like. Yeah, I, I think the, the last thing I would want to say about it is that we're, we're, when we don't take action and we think we should, that we're not taking action for a reason. What's the reason? A lot of times it's fear. And what helps me with the fear part is to realize that, number one, I don't have to do the redeeming. I mean, you can answer this question. How do I bring redemption at work? I don't. That's not my job. My job is to partner with Jesus. He brings the redemption. I'm really just assisting him. I'm just, facil- you know, doing what he tells me to do. Like, uh, I'm not individually responsible for it. That doesn't mean I t- do nothing, but it means that because I'm not ultimately responsible, I don't really have to be fearful about how it's going to work or manage it or make it happen. Um, and if I'm criticized for it, I'm criticized for pointing to someone else who's the one you know, that I'm quoting and that I'm following, right? It, it, so it's not, I'm not, I'm not generating this initiative. I'm pointing to someone else who's already has a better solution, a better way of doing that. And I'm just saying, hey, this is a pretty valid resource. This is useful. Um, might be applicable here. I think that's great. I think that's a good, I think, I think part of all this is, it sort of goes back to Sarah's original point about really leaning into your own status as a person who's been redeemed. Like if you're really doing that and you're really asking and inviting God to show you what he wants you to do on a daily basis, um, you will find ways to be an agent of redemption. And I think if there's if there's anything we're advocating here, it's, it's just to push some of the, well, that could be really macro, that could be global, that could be, um, there's there's some things about this industry that I need to stand up on, but we can make a, we can actually do that and still be viable as a business. And I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go out on a limb for that. It can be just owning my identity as a person of faith. And, and that's much more at an individual level. It, it could be more relational and leaning in as a peacemaker instead of just ignoring. Or gossiping. Or gossip. or Yeah, yeah, that kind of stuff. So it, it happens at all these different levels. But if you're really dialed in to your Christ-anchored identity and you're open to... You're there to serve him and others, and you do it and your eyes are open. Like you're gonna have, you're gonna do it. It's gonna happen. All right, team. Let's uh, bring this episode in for a landing. What are some What are some highlights and headlines we want to leave everybody with? I think we've we've discussed that really that starts with being firmly connected and rooted to God in the morning or in the every day, so that the things that we think and the things we say and the things we do are really coming from that faith connection that we have. Yeah, your center. Yeah, yeah, from the center. And I, I was thinking um, 
about that list of keeping a list of where are those um, miraculous interventions where God shows up and makes that connection, that divine connection for us. And, and that then becomes a, a, a list of celebration of hallelujahs, of praise points. I, I, I love that idea of, of keeping a list of how God shows up and makes a way. Yeah, and I, I like the idea of reimagining ourselves, that we, we really are what Jesus said. He said, you're the light of the world. And that as we go out and enter into our working space, which may be just walking in the other room and getting on Zoom, um, but when we enter into our working space, God's got a broader purpose for us that goes beyond um, just just making a living. Like, he, he really has ways he wants us to make a difference, um, facing brokenness, but also bringing positive redemption to the people we work with, the people we work for, all those kinds of things. And so dialing in, I think, to that broader, bigger purpose um, can really give us joy in our work, even when it's hard. So that's dilemma number four. Uh, next episode, join us for dilemma number three, which is uncertainty around my calling. What work am I gifted to do? We're going to dive into that question. It was question number three. Uh, and the top six of work dilemmas that people like you are facing every day. Thanks for listening. As we close this episode, I'm going to use the H word, help. First, help us help you. Do you want to grow in your effectiveness as a worker and a leader? Are you wondering if you're in the right job or career? Maybe you lead a team and wonder how to make that better. Go to vocacenter.org slash consult for an easy scheduling link and book your appointment with one of our great coaches today. We are ready to help you. Second, help us help others. This podcast is brought to you by generous donors who change lives by changing work through their investment in VOCA. If you like this content and want to partner with us to reach more workers, donate to VOCA. Go to vocacenter.org slash give and begin your partnership today. We'll see you next time on the VOCA Podcast, where we help you build resilient faith at work.